In the fall of 1985, the Church of England issued a report on the social and economic plight of the country's inner cities, which suggested remedies aimed both at the church and at the government of the day. Both were implicitly criticized for not focusing sufficient resources on the areas of deprivation. And the report called for the reallocation of resources and governmental support of various kinds for the underprivileged and the dispossessed. The government of that day was that of Mrs. Thatcher. And under her, a reorientation of government policy towards a robust individualism was well underway. Some of her more combative government ministers didn't hesitate to label the report, as well as the church, and particularly the then Archbishop of Canterbury, a socialistic or even outright Marxist. But putting ideology aside, at the root of their criticisms sat a simple idea, that the church shouldn't get involved in politics. The church does God, preferably in a church on a Sunday morning, looking after the spiritual needs of congregations. Politicians, elected by the people, do politics, looking after the material needs and affairs of the citizenry. One does not, and should not, in this view, impinge upon the role of the other. As Mrs. Thatcher's then Chancellor of the Exchequer put it, if only they had stuck to religion, we would all have been better off. Which brings us to today's gospel. In one of those phrases from the King James Version that continues to echo down the centuries, what does it mean to render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's and unto God that which is God's? Well, one answer is that one given by the British politicians. There are two separate spheres of activity, worldly and, if you will, otherworldly, and the two don't mix. There's a line of separation, a clear demarcation. But there's also another variant of the separation argument made by certain groups of Christians from the very earliest days of the church, which is that there are the grubby, corrupt, earthly powers on one side with whom grubby, corrupt people associate. While true Christians can only live apart in separate communities walled off from that world, ruled under the hand of God, unsullied by those corrupt earthly powers. Both have a certain logic to them. But both also seem to ignore the person from whose lips those words came, from Jesus Christ. Jesus preached the inauguration of God's kingdom on earth with those words from Luke's gospel about coming to bring good news to the poor, proclaim the release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and so on. He met frequently and broke bread often with sinners. He healed those who are sick in body, mind, or spirit, especially the poor. He called out the hypocrisy of the Jewish authorities. He was involved in the world. He rolled up his sleeves. He antagonized those in power. So I feel he would have rejected both of those interpretations. The work of God requires immersion in the world, not withdrawal from it. And the work of God requires involvement in practical ways, 
that do not conform to a pietistic concept of worship. But there's one further variant on the God and Caesar issue that we need to consider, at least in this country. And that's raised by the other reading today from the prophet Isaiah. In this, we hear Cyrus, the king of Persia, who allowed the Jews of the Babylonian exile to return to Jerusalem with the holy objects from the temple, referred to by Isaiah as God's chosen, as God's instrument, to whom God says, I name you, though you do not know me. I equip you, though you do not know me. Now, I don't need to belabor this, but this is where many American Christians find themselves today. Politicians are Latter-day Caesars, are held up as instruments of God's will, even if, quite clearly, they do not know me. This, of course, in fact, totally perverts Jesus' statement, because in this case, everything must be rendered to Caesar, because he is God's instrument. And to be fair, while this is more easily associated as a problem of the evangelical right, the liberal left is also prone to look for different types of human saviors, and both are wrong. So what was Jesus talking about if it wasn't a strict separation between politics and religion, or about isolating ourselves from a grubby, compromised world, or about discerning which human being God had anointed as his righteous instrument? Well, I will try to answer that, but by approaching it tangentially rather than directly. Why tangentially? Well, because each of the three possible interpretations actually asks the wrong question. And the wrong question can only produce the wrong answer. Each of them imposes a human framework on the question of the relative weight to be accorded to the earthly powers and to the heavenly powers. So, what is the right question? It's this, I believe. In the world that God made, how can we be faithful to our God? What are we required to do as stewards of God's creation? Because it is only when we have fully and sufficiently answered that question that we can determine what is left that can still be rendered to Caesar. Thought of this way, the question is not religion versus politics. It's not being part of the world versus trying to escape from it. And it's definitely not about trying to determine who is God's instrument on earth versus who isn't. It's about what we, as children of God, owe to God. Because it is only after that that we can determine what we owe to our earthly rulers. So to give you that tangential answer, I want to narrow the focus down to something that we're doing here at St. John's to the Sacred Ground Dialogue program on race and faith that over 60 of us are now engaged in. It is an effort to discover precisely what God wants from us as individuals and as a community right here, right now, in relation to the question of race. Now, as we've seen, this is in so many ways a political issue, a highly political issue. 
It's an issue upon which our two major parties take different views. It's an issue upon which politicians take a wide range of views. It's an issue in which the state, the government, intervenes whether in terms of law and order or anti-discrimination. And it's a question not just with political ramifications, but also profound social and economic questions. So does that mean that these issues should be left to the politicians, to Caesar, while as Christians and as a church we continue to worship God? No, no, no. Because that is to get it the wrong way round. In our sacred ground dialogue circles, to discern what it is that we owe to God on this topic, we have started by telling stories, not about politics, but about ourselves, and by listening to the stories of others. In doing that, we see both where we have fallen down and how we might pick ourselves back up. We hear about fearing to say something, hesitating to say something, for fear of being misunderstood on race. We hear about the daily microaggressions, the small, relentless put-downs that diminish human beings in their own eyes and in the eyes of those around them. We hear about the different applications of law enforcement to non-white people. We hear people admitting their own blindness or inability to recognize that what seems normative to a white person can be oppressive to a person of color. And in an atmosphere of trust, we look at the issues of the world and what needs to be changed, guided by our common belief that our God came down to earth in the form of a poor, lower-class Palestinian Jew who died a violent death on a cross at the hands of the Roman oppressors who died that we might be forgiven all our sins, who died that we might all be re reconciled with one another, regardless of the color of our skin or anything else that we as humans have set up to divide ourselves. What we need to render unto God on these issues of race is becoming pretty clear, I think. And while it undoubtedly touches on what we call politics and is also within the scope of human actions and laws, it is nevertheless an obligation first and foremost to God. It's to love one another. It's to love our neighbor, understanding that everybody in need is our neighbor. It's to realize that everything that we have is a gift to be shared with others, not something of our own des deserving to be hoarded for ourselves. And above all, building on the words of St. Paul, above all, it is to live lives bearing witness that in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, neither black nor white, nor Native American, nor Latinx, nor any other man-made boundary or barrier. We are all and only 
one. That, that is what we must render to God. And only when that is done can we see what is left for Caesar. Amen.